Good morning, everybody. Welcome to No Easy Answer. Uh, we're we examining things that don't have an easy answer. Pretty, pretty simple. Um, welcome, welcome, welcome. It is September 8th, I believe. Something around there. Uh, it's Tuesday, the day after Labor Day. And we had a, a day off, so I could just rest because I had a very long weekend. My wife uh, makes cakes, and so... A lot of times on weekends I just play delivery boy and help wash a lot of dishes and <laughs> do it again. Uh, anyways, we had a lot of cakes to deliver this weekend, so thank you, Lord. We had a lot of work, but man, it's good to have just a little bit of time off as well. So, um, <clears throat> I want to do a quick, eh, maybe not so quick update um, about the little uh, something admirable campaign I, I put out. That was last week on Facebook. That was on, I think, Thursday night, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, yeah, so if you haven't heard about it, which I would be very surprised if you had heard about it from some other medium that's not this, because it didn't go anywhere. Uh, basically, the idea was, again, I believe I, I heard this from God to, to do this. I was praying, and I had this idea, and it came to me when I was concerned about the amount of division we have in this country. Uh, and to me, it seems in line with what God's general mission and purpose vision is in the world. I could be totally wrong here, um, and if I am, call me out, please, I'd like to hear it. Nonetheless, I put this thing out there, and so the idea was, can we, can you, as an individual, uh, take the challenge to find three things you admire about each of the presidential candidates? The idea being that we as Christians are called to be a blessing to all those around us, um, and that one of the base most basic understandings of the word blessing is to speak well of. And so can I recognize three things that are good about each presidential candidate? Now, uh, that was the idea because the concern is that if I've become so politicized and radicalized on one side that I can only see everybody on the other side as completely evil, maybe I need to break that down and stop seeing people are just completely evil, but can I recognize, hey, this is someone that's made in the very image and likeness of God, and there is, there are some good traits there. Um, so that's kind of the idea, the, the whole purpose behind it was to attack division, was to help us bless and even do well to those who mistreat us or to our quote-unquote enemies, because I think that is something that should be unique to us as Christians. Um, the world really is kind of taking that on, which I think is fascinating. Um, that's kind of a definition of someone who's good, that they're able to treat even those who treat them poorly well. Uh, you see media and movies all the time. But that really is, I mean, from the get-go, that comes from Jesus. You're not going to find that anywhere else in, in human history. <laughs> uh, and so are we, as followers of Christ, capable of doing that or not? Um, can we bless the people that we even see on the opposite side of the spectrum? And what doesn't matter whatever spectrum you're on. I, I have friends that are on the right. I have friends that are on the left. Um, and one of the things I put on there is like, listen, I'm not supporting any particular candidate. I'm seeking out the kingdom of God above all things. And I don't, I'm not here for one person or one party, one group. My hope is certainly not in the results of an election. My hope is in, is in Jesus Christ. So I put that out there, and it was kind of a, a flop. I, I tried to include people that I know are somewhat active on Facebook. I mean, I didn't send it to everyone on Facebook because that would just be silly because 
yeah. In any case, I, I put it in people that I figured would be kind of active, and I thought that one might kind of run with it. Um, as far as I can tell, no one did. I had one response to my actual page, and the idea was not to put it on as a comment back on that page, but to actually put it on your own page. Maybe I just did not communicate that well. Uh, anyway, so I had one person respond to it, and that was good. They did it. Thank you. I had one person. You know who you are. Thank you. Uh, and then I had some other folks be like, I had some people say like, and then I had some, one person say, ah, it's not really quite the context context I'm ministering to, but thank you. And that was, that probably was ugh, more frustrating than anything else. Cause it's like, well, if we're here to bless people, this is kind of like the whole idea out of Abraham. We're here to bless all nations. It really shouldn't matter who you're ministering to. But I can see if you really don't have people that are quite on board with the whole Jesus thing yet. That could be kind of a, a big step for them. That could kind of be a big step for someone that's been a Christian all their life. Let's be honest. So, uh, that was frustrating. And then I put that out Thursday night and I couldn't go to sleep. I was nervous. And so I woke up and I reviewed it and I was like, you know what? Maybe my little thinks is saying, hey, you know, let's remind, remember to do this next time you're in any kind of interaction with another person as a different political or, or perspective. And I realized maybe that sounds accusatory, so I changed the wording, and but it's, it already went out, so I don't know. I don't know. Um, in any case, that's that. Now, because, man, I'm, I can analyze things to death, and so I analyzed the heck out of it to try to figure out, okay, what, why is this not going? And, and I guess the only thing I could really think of, aside from the obvious, is that, one, even if I was to get this, I probably wouldn't do it. I mean, it sounds like a really good idea, but for me on Facebook to go from, oh, yes, I like that, to actually take a step of action, that's a pretty high barrier. Uh, I'd, I'd have to think about it for a while. And by the time I think about it, I'm sure it's already passed, and it's like, yeah, I'm moved on to something else. So if I got that, I probably wouldn't have done it, but who knows. In any case, uh, also, I think the other thing to consider is that, is this, is, is doing that somehow giving the two candidates a pass saying like, Hey, I admire this about them. I'm right them. So I'm just going to ignore the bad stuff that they represent or the bad stuff that they have done in their past. And I know some of you say like, well, my candidates never done anything bad. It's like, um, everyone, no, not one. No, not one is righteous. Uh, let's be very clear about this. <laughs> Myself included. Um, so no, I don't believe that doing this is giving them a pass and, and because there's so much out there that is not giving them a pass. You do not have to look hard. You just need to open your eyes and for about a fraction of a second you'll see about 2 million people at any given time on Facebook not giving either of these two people a pass. So in a sense, it's kind of like, I don't want this to be a pass, and I, I can't see in any way, shape, or form, if you're able to do this with both, that this is giving them a pass. This is more intended not to be like, I think that they're amazing people. This is more intended as maybe a spiritual exercise for us as the populace to be able to, uh, Christian populace, part of the society, for us to be able to recognize and bless both these people, because chances are, I mean, anything can happen, who knows, especially this year, chances are one of these two guys is going to end up as being president for the next four years. Um, so, 
as our job is as Christians, which is to bless people, can we go ahead and start doing that now? Given that there's a very high likelihood either won't happen. Um, so can we do that now? I think that would make sense. I would think so. Um, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just, I'm just kind of too hopeful, too optimistic, too like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. And it really didn't go anywhere. Um, I did see one guy in Facebook and he put something out really similar and kind of what I did on the same day. I saw it four days later, um, saying, Hey, this is Donald Trump. He's made in the image of God. Da, 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 da. Let's bless him. This is Joe Biden. He's made in the image of God. Da, da, da. Let's bless him. I'm like, yeah, that, that's, that's really awesome. So I felt like that kind of happened like real, real quick after I, I put that out or I don't know who he got out first. I don't know who did it first. In any case, I thought that's kind of cool. So I'm trying to become friends with that person so that I can do that and then put something else out there. In any case, <clears throat> um, in any case, yeah, so I did that. And again, I was kind of uh, frustrated just by a total lack of response. Again, that's kind of one of the things I've, I've always said. It's like I, I have this ability to go out there and I can say the number two. And everyone kind of looks at me and they cock their head. They're like, hmm, shrug their shoulders and move on. And then someone else will go out there and say the number two. And everyone's like, yes, the number two. Absolutely. Oh, it makes so much sense. The number two. And it's like, I, I just said the number two, but for whatever reason, my communication abilities are lacking to such a point that I can't quite get the number two across. Um, but I feel like that that's why I'm, I'm, I need an early adapter that can take that which what I've said and be like, oh, you just need to say the number two with the accent on the two. And then it's like, oh yeah, two, that's, that's definitely it. In any case, I was kind of hoping that somebody out there would be that early adapter that would take this concept, take this idea, and then kind of make it corrected and shaped into whatever it is that needs to go into the appropriate vernacular that can actually be transmitted throughout the, the waves of communication. Um, anyways, I feel like that didn't quite happen. So, oh well. In any case, I was obedient. I felt like God called me to do this. I did it, and then that's what happened. So, again, I don't know. I'm, I'm just trying to be obedient here. I'm, I'm not called to be successful. I'm not called to be impactful. I'm not called to be popular. I'm not called to be any like that. Um, I'm called to be obedient. And so I really haven't felt anything else from God to be like, hey, yeah, okay, do much more. I've just felt like, okay, you did it. There it is. So I did it. <laughs> Yay, I did it. Um, <laughs> and that is that. Uh, yes. So anyways, that, that's that. One of the things I felt like is, is, uh, importance coming out of this, um, is just, I don't know, just the, the, again, the sad state that we live in today that we're so, so, so politicized, even within the church. And, it, and that goes, that cuts both ways. And, I know there's some people that just don't get it and the other way. But I, I read this article in Christianity, and I'm kind of rambling today, but it, it's okay. It's kind of a rambling day. Um, I read this article. I didn't even get all the way through it. I, I got kids and a lot of stuff going on. But I got partway through it, and I thought, and I could tell right where I was going. And I was like, yes, this is a huge issue. 
And I kind of want to share my own little experience with this, and then maybe we'll jump back in a little bit into violence, and this will kind of dovetail into it and talk about how how we'll get into this. Um, My own, the the Christianity Today article, I think it was Christianity, maybe it was something else. Oh boy, I'm going to get myself in trouble. Um, I think it was talking about, I think it was Christianity Today, but it was talking about how many people within the church grow up in the typical white church, um, typically right, conservative leaning, and I'm not, I'm not jumping on you guys, relax, I'm, I will in a second, but <laughs> I'm not jumping on you. And so people grow up in that, and they feel a calling into ministry, they go to a seminary, and they start learning about God's heart for justice. This is an idea that's brought up at seminary, because obviously it was not brought up at their church, and so the people were like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, God has a heart for the poor, God has a heart for the oppressed, God cares about people that are facing injustice. There are a lot of injustices that my own people, my own white-skinned uh, Caucasian brothers and sisters over the decades and millennia have committed and continue to commit even if it's just via omission. And this is wrong. This is da 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 And so they begin to see, like, this is not good. Um, and so they begin to feel the typical white guilt begin to start to move more in um, modes of justice, and so they begin to do it, first of all, from the Christian perspective, but over time, it's like they start using a little more saltier language, and their their calls for justice, even within their home churches, are kind of land completely on deaf ears, and so they get frustrated, and so they begin to move more and more, kind of towards looking through justice, if it can't be done through the church, because now the church is just capitulating in the injustice, that now they're going out to the world of means to do it, and eventually they just end up being completely a, let's just say, a religious, a Christian, um, and they many times will lose their faith and just become justice fighters seeking out worldly ways of justice. <clears throat> uh, and so, <laughs> as we look at this, uh, I, I, I have a lot of compassion on these people that, that go through that, that process because I understand that's how it kind of was for me. I mean, I, I went through this little thing when I was part of InterVarsity, which is a group that does promote justice, but it does it from a very Christian perspective, which is amazing. Um, and so there was a lot of that there, but it still is very eye-opening for me because I had no idea what that was. And even then, the term justice, they had, when I started going to InterVarsity, I had these little teams, and they said, oh, we've got evangelism team, we've got prayer team, we've got justice team. I'm like, what does the justice team do? I was like, what the heck is that? Uh, <laughs> that is really weird. And so one of our, one of my Bible study leaders, the next year she was in charge of the justice team, and I, I, I had no idea what that was. And so I started uh, looking into it, and, and my first year really didn't get into it a whole lot. Um, but they had like this thing in, in, our, in the place where I went to school, in, in Cal Poly, in San Luis Obispo, and uh, they'd have, like, um, every, we'd rotate it, so every week, like, a Bible study would make, um, food for one of the homeless shelters or something like that, we'd take it over there so they could have something to eat, um, and again, I really didn't know what it was, I was like, oh, okay, that's cool, so we're just in somebody's house making a lot of spaghetti, and then we'd take it and drop it off somewhere, and that was that. Did we really have contact with people that were in a rough situation in their lives? No. Um, <laughs> but then it got better, because then there's also this thing called the, uh, there was like a, uh, a shelter for a lot of people that were in a situation of being homeless, families in particular, 
um, and they had a, a shelter that would rotate. So every month it was in a different church basement. And so there's 12 churches that uh, stepped up to the plate and said, hey, let's do this. And so they need someone to spend the night there and, and you know, just kind of stay guard and be with them and then eat uh, breakfast with them in the morning. And I loved it. I thought that was great. And I loved doing that. And that was a really cool thing. And that's how I started, like, kind of got started on this whole process. But what really got me started on this whole process was the book of Luke and doing a Bible study line by line through the book of Luke and seeing just the amount of crazy things that Jesus says about, hey, you're rich, sell all of your stuff, give it to the poor, come follow me. It's like, whoa, I never heard that one in church growing up. Um, and so I, and so here, here's, here's, here's where I'm going with this whole article thing. It's true. I feel like in the general, typical American white conservative church, we don't touch on these topics of God's heart for the poor or God's heart for the oppressed um, or victims of injustice. That's not something we talk about because there's a lot of things going on. Um, but it, and, and the reality is when we leave out, either by decision, uh, conscious decision, or by subconscious decision... When we omit large parts of the Bible, um, it will come back and get us. <laughs> and and that, that's what's happened there. Uh, if you start to leave out, oh, I can just do whatever. I can do this. And then, no, oh, personal morality, I can get thrown out to the side. I don't need to be, you know. Eh. That will come back and get you. <laughs> if you leave out God's heart for justice, that will come back and get you. Uh, if you leave out the necessity of Jesus, that will come back and get you. If you leave out the necessity of God, that will come back and get you. If you leave out the necessity of the Holy Spirit, that will come back and get you. And 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 I and I, and I hate to put burdens on pastors because they're so freaking burdened already. That's not what I'm trying to do. But what I, I do want to say is that there are many things that we 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 should strive. We should at least have a goal towards looking at the entire gospel, full, complete, and fullness of what it is. And that that means a lot of different things, you know. And I think. Uh, I did a series on the basics. Go go back and listen to that. I feel like that really kind of covers a lot of it. Um, when we talk about repentance, when we talk about what that repentance actually means, yes, you're doing stopping doing evil, starting doing good, but even through the lens of John the Baptist, that brings in justice into the middle of it. Um, we talk about laying out of hands. You're bringing in the Holy Spirit. We talk about um, baptism. You're talking about leaving behind the old ways and, and doing this this good thing. And and I mean, it's just, I think it's complete. It's all there. Uh, and so I feel like there's there's a fullness and completeness of what that is, um, and so we got to look at that all that. And so and I I put this out as an encouragement, and I put this out as a thing to strive towards because I feel like a healthy congregation will be a congregation that where we don't admit parts of the Bible fully or completely or whatever. Uh, we got to look at all of it. And how God moves for that. And so if that means that when you are in a largely white, middle class congregation, when you start talking about these topics, it may sound political. But it's not. I think it's the biggest thing to understand. The, these things that are on the heart of God are on the heart of God. Everyone say, oh, that sounds socialist. Well, socialism was made thousands of years after God put his heart for the law. God put his heart for, for the poor and the oppressed into the Old Testament, thousands of years afterwards. Is it the fault of God that what someone came up with in the world sounds like the Bible? Not at all. Does that mean you should abandon this, the, the stuff in the Bible because now it sounds like socialism? No, not at all. And for the people on the left. 
oh man, God's saying, yeah, you know, the workers do his wage. That means I got to work even, it's like, yes, obviously. And, and can I, can I just stop this little silly thing? People think socialism means not working. And, and can I just break that down? That's a lie. That's not what socialism is about. People think it's like, oh yeah, I'm just going to sit there on the dole and, and get money. That, that's not what it's about. That's a really bad straw man argument. There's a lot of things you can say about it, but that's not one of them. So stop. <laughs> that's a really bad idea. I'm going to talk about economic systems later on. Um, and we're going to go through all of them, capitalism and socialism and communism, um, neoliberalism. We're going to go through all that kind of stuff. And, uh, <clears throat> and go through that. But yeah, that's that's just a really dumb argument. That Seriously. Okay. Any case, sorry, let me get off of that. So, <laughs> all that to say, um, we got to go through the whole Bible. So, let, let me talk a little about, about violence and structures and oppression, because I feel like this is kind of where I left off. And we talked about, I was, I was going to get into this whole topic about, can you be an, an individual within a violent structure? And, uh, and can you be seen as that? I've been telling my kids uh, the story of Moses recently, just kind of over the dinner table and going through it, and it's been really fun. And they're like into it, like, oh, go keep on going. So I've been doing it, like, you know, kind of anime style. So I get to the best part and cut it and be like, come back next week, and then you're <laughs> actually tomorrow. And uh, it's been good. So they've been wanting to get into it. But Moses in Egypt and, and the Hebrew people in Egypt, I think, is very illustrative about a lot of things there. Um, the people of God were found in a position of slavery and they were slaves for, I don't know how long, but they were in the land of Egypt for 400 years. But at some point they began to be treated as slaves. Then also slavery got worse and worse and the oppression they faced from Pharaoh got worse and worse and worse as well, especially over the course of Moses' life. And especially in the very last days, it got much more intense. So, by the time God is ready to start liberating his people from the oppressive structures in which they find themselves, a.k.a. the slavery of Egypt, uh, Moses goes out and he sees that there's an Egyptian slave person that's mistreating a Hebrew slave. Uh, the slave driver, he's weapon, or he's, I don't know what he's doing, he's, he's mistreating a Hebrew slave. And Moses stands up and kills that guy. And that's kind of interesting that here he is, he's... He, even though he is Hebrew, he's, he identifies with the people, he was grown in a situation of power. He grew up in Pharaoh's court as uh, Pharaoh's daughter's son. And so he is very well equipped with a sense of power, entitlement, uh, how he thinks she, things should be done. Because he gets to see people who have ultimate power just do whatever they want with it. And whether they used that well or they did not, I can't say. But, as tends to happen in the moment of youth, although he was 40 at this time, uh, he responds and just removes, he moves out of anger and he sees the injustice and the anger boils up in him and it results in the death of an oppressor. Um, there's so much to say about that. We'll get back to that in a second. There's so much to say about that. Uh, we'll come back to that in a second. Nonetheless, Moses goes to this thing where he has to first act out of position of power to try to bring liberation. Uh, the next day when he goes out and talks to those so that he believes need to be liberated, they're like, oh, are you going to kill us too? Just like you killed that other guy. And he's like, oh gosh. Uh, <laughs> maybe the people that I'm trying to free aren't exactly as I thought that they are. Shock. Um, so now he has to run away, flees for his life, goes out to the desert, and he humbles himself. 
Um, through another act of violence, he's able to save his future wife and his her sisters, and he's brought into the house of this man. And uh, he's there, and he walks behind sheep for the next 40 years as a pastor in the desert, which is God's preparation for him to take him out in the desert. He actually becomes a Hebrew, because the Hebrew word means dusty. Uh, the word of, I mean, Hebrew actually means dusty, because these were the people that walked behind the animals, and they became dusty. And so finally, Moses, instead of living in the royal palace, he gets out, and he gets behind the, their dirty sheep and their poop, and steps in their poop, and walks in their dust, and he becomes a true Hebrew. He becomes fully dusty. So when he goes back, um, and God calls him into this position of power and authority, he's like, "Uh -uh, nope, not doing that one. I can't talk. I got a stutter. And, uh, that's fine. You can use the mouthpiece. You can use your brother Aaron as part of that. So he still goes back and he talks to his people and they're like, who are you? (laughs) They don't want anything to do with him, but he still goes in and makes it happen. Um, all to say Moses begins to present himself to Pharaoh and says, hey, let my people go because God says, if you don't, this is going to happen to you. And start thus start the plagues. Moses is really kind of a, a fascinating figure, but I want to focus on what God does to Egypt because even though you could make the argument, it wasn't every single Egyptian. It was only Pharaoh. Even though I can make the argument, well, you know, this family of Egyptians, they weren't directly oppressing and, and enslaving the other people. Not everybody owns slaves. Uh, you can make that argument there. And yet, where does God's plagues fall? They fall on all the people of Egypt. Where do God's plagues and punishments land? On all the people of Egypt. Where do they not land? On all the Hebrew people. Uh... When the darkness fell, it fell on all the Egyptians, except where the Hebrews were at. It did not fall on them. The plagues were divided. They split up. And so even though you could make, as an Egyptian, be like, well, I don't own any slaves. I'm poor. I don't have anything to do with this. You know, I'm not a, I'm not in good straits. Those are all those rich Egyptians that are enslaving all the Hebrew people. I'm, I'm not getting anything out of this. And yet they still got punished. And yet they still received the plagues. And you could look at the Hebrew people, which we know from later on are not any kind of example of like, wow, this is, what an amazing people group. <laughs> we know that very clearly. Uh, you could look at them and be like, well, you know, these guys aren't any good. They're doing this, they're doing that, and some of these guys are lazy, and some of these other guys did this, and some of these other guys are just causing troubles in the streets. And you could say that. And yet God did not send plagues on any of them, at least when we get to the very last plague, so that painted the door and listened to Moses. Obviously, we know the ones that didn't. That was a different story. <clears throat> but, all that to say, God's actions uh, really fell on everything divided by people groups. And whether we can look at the individual case of whether that was just or not, in this case at least, when we see God judging, he's judging by the entire people group as a whole. Um, and we can say that's fair, we can say that's not fair, but the, at the end of the day, God is God. I can't argue with him. Um, I can't say that what he did is just or what he did is unjust. All I can say is that God is good. And, and I know it sounds like I'm brainwashed right now, but I have to say it. I mean, one of the, like I said, I've said, I've said previously, the closest point I got away to walk away from my faith was when I, I was looking at, um, how God treated, uh, 
God treated Pharaoh and is like, well, God hardened Pharaoh's heart and set him up for punishment. I mean, really, that, that's not Pharaoh's fault. Yeah, faults, I'm sorry. That's <laughs> not Pharaoh's fault. Why, why would God do that to him? That's wrong. That's unjust. Um, and yet, you have to come to the thing that Paul says. is like, who are you, man, to say what God can do, what he can't do? I mean, he will do what he will do. And he did that. Uh, we could go back and say, well, no, really, come on. No, that's not really what this is about. This is really just kind of, you know, a, a symbol of how God is, is treating sin, how God treats the world, uh, how God freezes people from the world. And so, you know, that's not really, that's not, yeah, that's not what God does anymore. Ah, I don't know. And yes, you could, you could try to make that argument. Nonetheless, I mean, if this was a random case where God judged entire people groups, then yes, that'd be one thing, but God... Frequently judges entire people groups. It's replete throughout the entire Old Testament. It happens everywhere. Um, even within the New Testament, when Jesus says to his disciples, when you go into a town and they don't receive you, and you find no person of peace there, wipe off your feet against the entire town. A.K.A. a people group. A.K.A. a group of people. You're wiping it off against everyone there and saying, uh-uh, nope. Your dust does not even cling to our feet. We were walking away from you, and man, it's going to be worse for you in the Day of Judgment than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah. <clears throat> um, even Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham interceding, interceding big time. You know, and obviously the case of Sodom and Gomorrah is pretty clear. There was no one that was worth saving there aside from Lot and his family, even then. Huh? Uh, so, all that to say... God does judge people groups, and, and this needs to bother us. It needs to bother us a lot, because I hate, as I tell my daughter, it's like, I hate to say it, Sophie, but we're part of a country that we had slaves for a very long time. Um, and I don't feel like we, my people, white people, have necessarily made a full public repentance, an act of that. I mean, I'm not talking about necessarily the, the country as a whole, which I think would be good and important and necessary for the country as a whole to do that, but also for us as Christians, have we made a full repentance of that? Have we repented publicly and said what we did or what my people have done is wrong? That, you know, even though individually I can make a bunch of arguments and say, like, I don't have anything to do with this, accept it and be like, whoa, no, what, what my people did was wrong. Forgive my people. I ask forgiveness. I, as a white, white man, ask forgiveness from you. Uh, as, as people of color, would you forgive us for all the evil that we have committed to you over the centuries? I think that'd be a very powerful act if that could happen. Um, I, I don't know if something has publicly happened like that. I think maybe Promise Keepers did something like that a while back. Maybe? I don't know. Um, but I, I feel like eh, there needs to be something a little bit bigger than that. Uh, in any case, I'll have to say, when God judges, it, it, it judge, he judges, he, he does it. And, and even though you could say, well, that's not fair as an individual, we got to look at it and be like, listen, God's going to do what he's going to do, and, and I can't stop him. I cannot stop him from doing it. Um, i got to let him do that which he's going to do. Um, <clears throat> what that means is that I've got to be quick to pull the repentance trigger and very slow to pull the that's not fair trigger. Uh, and, and that's a thing. So again, my, my encouragement to all of us is that let's be quick to repent of whatever it is. And, and again, this does not mean, this does not mean when you repent of, of evil or you repent of the evil of, of your group, 
That does not mean that the other group is perfect. No. That's not what this is about. It does not mean that, that the other group is, quote-unquote, right or wrong or whatever. All you're saying is, I have done wrong. My people have done wrong. Forgive me for that. We looked for, we, 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 uh, what was it? We kidnapped people out of their houses in Africa. We put them on boats in chains, threw a number of them off the boats in the middle of the ocean, brought them here, sold them as animals, had them work for centuries, did not let them even get married, bred them as if they were animals. Uh, and then, uh, even when they were set free, still treated as second-class citizens, racism, and that continues even today. And we're still seeing some of the, the results of that. So, um, a lot of the results of that. And, and that, you know, we can go into a lot of that, and I think that'd be good. But all to say, it's like, we need to repent of that. And, and I need to repent of that. And I need to say publicly, forgive me, people of color. And, and not even getting into the way we've treated, you know, Native Americans and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot. There's a lot that has been done wrong. And, and I know if, if you're very conservative, this sounds like a threat because now it sounds like, oh my gosh, the left is going to come take over. But no, this is not about the left. It's not about the right. This is about us before God. This is about us before God and being called into account for that which we have done or not done, but uh, that our people have done and asking forgiveness for it, repenting of it. Um, because again, I'm saying if, if, if we're not capable as a church of doing that, and I say church global in the sense, and this goes beyond just this country, please understand there are many churches in many places of the world that they're not able to bless people of a different people group that are their brothers and sisters in Christ, but they're a different people group and they can't do that. And trust me, that comes back and it gets them. Um, and, and that's, that's kind of what we're seeing here. We, we need to be leading here. We need to be leading as Christians to that. Um, obviously the enemy is very keen and astute in this and he's trying to lead as many people astray as he can in the midst of it. Um, but understand this is not a political issue. This is a spiritual issue before God. When we talk about oppression, this was God's heart first, that we would be unoppressors, <laughs> that would be liberators, as it says in, uh, in Luke 4. But not liberating in the way the world liberates. Careful. Be very careful about that. Um, when we see how God brings the people out of Egypt, the Egyptians finally, after all the plagues, they start paying them. The slaves that were never paid over all those centuries, now they're like, get out of here, take my gold, take my silver, I want you to have it, because maybe this way I can appease the God of your people so he won't punish us anymore. They got paid for the work, finally. Um, that, that's how God works. He does these crazy things that would not be an official government program, but it's like he does it in such a way that these things happen. So, <clears throat> anyways, all I have to say, and that's where we're at. So, oppression, violence takes on structures, and, and God sees it as such, and God judges it as such. And depending on where we find ourselves within that, that really... I think, in any case, we need to be quick to repent. Um, if you find yourself in as, as a victim of oppression, trust in God. Pray. God started moving when he heard the Israelites' cries. He said, listen, I hear. I hear their cries rose before myself. And so he responded. The best thing we can do to end oppression is to pray. 
And I think also to forgive our oppressors. That's the big thing. That's the big thing. We're going to talk about the book of Philemon as well, because that's a huge, oh my gosh, that's crazy. But um, if, if we're not, if, if, if someone that is oppressed cannot forgive their oppressors, they're just the next one up on the line to start the oppression. And so Jesus, his way of doing things is not about the oppressors getting out of the way so those who are oppressed can become the next in line to be the top dog. Uh, is that the whole system gets blown apart. Blown apart entirely, fully, completely. So, be blessed. Have a wonderful week. Do good. Um, let's repent. Let's repent of evil that we might have done. Um, anything we might have benefited from. And let's do that uh, publicly, fully. I, I repent right here. I repent of the things that I've received. And, and even though um, I can say as a white person, I've never received you know, something directly because I'm white. You know, I'm, I'm not high up on the social economic status or anything like that. I can certainly say without a doubt that I've it's never been detrimental to me to be white in this country. Never. I've never had any issues from being white in this country. Never had to face that. So that puts me an advantage over any kind of person of, of color in the eyes of the world. And I repent of that. I repent of, of, of any benefits that I've had because of that. And I say, Lord, do your justice. Forgive me for any ways that I've promoted or, or by silence or by capitulation or by omission, I've promoted uh, unjust structures and oppression. Forgive me, Father, for that. Uh, and I pray that you'd forgive our people, forgive my people, and that we'd be able to walk um, in truth, be able to walk in justice, be able to walk in reconciliation, be able to walk in um, everything that, that repentance implies. And that means sharing everything. And help us to walk in that. Help us to walk in that. <sighs> yes, okay. Be blessed, have a good week, and we'll see you on the flip side.